Hello, and welcome to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kenny Gong. And I'm Connie Chung. This is a show for budding real estate agents, whether you're new to the industry or seasoned and refining the fundamentals of your craft. Today, we're so excited to welcome our guest and colleague, Ina Rubinchik. Ina is a phenomenal leasing agent in San Francisco, one of the very best. She specializes in leasing high-end luxury properties around the city. She's got major chops with a background in finance, taxation, and real estate acquisition. But what I love most about Ina is that she is constantly striving to push forward what it means to be a leading leasing agent, whether that's empowering her clients with better feedback or creating more beautiful, more customized marketing. Ina is always committed to getting better. So welcome, Ina. Thank you. Great to be here. Ina, so walk us through how you landed in the world of residential luxury leasing in San Francisco. Okay. I am going to take you back to 2008 when I worked for Deloitte. I uh, work for the retaxation arm of Deloitte, and my clients were big real estate investment companies and also large corporations. At one point, I worked for a very prominent large company here in San Francisco. We were, they were our client. And what we did is refiled about 20 years of tax returns for them and found some kind of loophole that saved them millions of dollars in taxes. And it was horrendous amount of work. It was just crazy. We, we worked days and nights, basically. And when we presented our findings, we went to their corporate offices, we sat at the um, in a big conference room, and um, our partner presented the findings to the tax director. And the tax director said, huh. you know, he just shrugged his shoulders and was just not impressed at all. And at that very moment, I literally realized that what I did didn't mean anything. It was not affecting anyone's life. Nobody cared. So I really wanted to change and find myself a career, you know, the kind of work that was really fulfilling and really changes things for people. You know, it affects everyone's bottom line, my bottom line. So I left Deloitte and uh, for about a year I was unemployed and I just walked the streets of San Francisco wondering what it is that I wanted to do. I was really literally soul searching for a year. And at some point, I just had a vision where I decided that I wanted to be um, in real estate, but I wanted to be, I wanted all of my background and education to be useful. So I kind of had a vision there that I wanted to be an asset manager, a portfolio manager. I wanted to manage a large portfolio of real estate. And I took yellow pages (laughs) <laughs> there were yellow pages. I ripped out all real estate pages, uh, researched and circled about 40 some real estate investment companies that were listed there, researched them and sent them an email. And I basically said, this was already 2009. And if you were in real estate in 2009, and if you were old enough to be <laughs> to remember 2009, then it was the bottom of the market. People were getting laid off. I mean, real estate was, you know, Slowly and not in shambles. And I wrote this email and I said, Hey, my name is Ina, and this is my background. This is my education. I want to be an unpaid intern. And uh, out of 40 companies, four responded. First three invited me to informational interviews. I remember going into people's into these offices where they were empty and they were laying off people. And they said, 
you know, this sounds really good, but we have no idea what you're going to do here for us because we don't even know if we're going to be open tomorrow. And the fourth company that I went to, the gentleman I met with, he said, oh, you can do so much for me. You can do this. You can do this. You can do that. Can you start tomorrow? Yes, I can. Can you commit to a 90-day internship? Yes, I can. I worked with these guys for five years. It's a real estate investment company, local. They're called Virtu Investments. They started, they were in downtown San Francisco. They are now in Larkspur. They buy apartment buildings all over the country. A lot of Texas, um, California. And what I did for them, I did a lot of different things for them. I know more about real estate than an average person. They taught me how to underwrite an apartment complex. I can literally do that back of a napkin. They taught me all the asset management. I, I managed a portfolio of uh, five office buildings throughout the country. And I was part of the acquisitions process. And at some point, it just kind of got a little bit, I kind of got a little bit tired. I was in it for about three years and I wanted a bit of a change. And this new deal landed on my desk that I was underwriting. It was six month plaza. It made no sense to purchase that building, but the partner really wanted that prized asset in San Francisco because they didn't know, although they were based in San Francisco, they didn't own anything in San Francisco at all. So they literally bought that building, even though it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and I was pregnant with my first son and they said, well, you know, you need flexibility and we need somebody to at least manage this building. Can you do it for us? And I said, well, I have no idea what I'm doing, but sure, I might as well. So I remember standing with a big Ziploc bags of keys. It was a 24-year-old building at the, on the plaza, pregnant. And I was looking at the building thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? It was the best experience of my life. I mean, it was so much fun. I really figured it out very quickly. I raised rents. To date, my crown jewel is the penthouse at six penthouse. I got for $22,500. I took rents, I mean, at 50%, uh, 70%. I mean, the rent increases were crazy. There were a lot of times that were, these were the times where venture capital firms were giving out money left and right to anybody, <laughs> to any company that was the, where I had companies that were doing all kinds of gifts and companies, all kinds of startups were in that building. I mean, people were, it, because it was a live work building, so people were living there and also having their offices there. So a lot of known companies have started in my building. I had great fun. And then the building was purchased by another uh, real estate investment company here in San Francisco. And they were so impressed with me. They bought me with the building. <laughs> and they own a lot of buildings in San Francisco. So I started doing leasing for them. And I was doing a lot of high-end, 5,000 plus, then you know 8,000 plus. And then I decided that I needed to go on my own. And at one of the SFAR events, I met Michael Barnacle, who is the manager of the Pacific Heights office of Zephyr, or corporate global right now. And I said, well, Pacific Union has a leasing department. Why doesn't Zephyr have a leasing department? And he said, well, why don't you start one? So I did. And I worked at Zephyr for a couple of years. And then Compass came calling. It was kind of a great opportunity for me. 
I was the first and only leasing only agent at Compass. And, you know, the first day of working at Compass, I walked away with four referrals. And I really love it. It makes me, it's so often that I look at people who sell real estate, especially on Instagram. I follow a lot of the top producers all over the country. And I say, and I look at them, they're selling $25 million homes, $50 million homes. And I look at them and I think, man, I could do that too. I have all the skill set. I've got everything. But at the same time, will it make me happy? And I don't think so. I think I really found my place in the world, speaking compass terms, and I'm really, really happy doing what I do. I love that. And what is it about it that makes you so happy, if you could boil it down to its essence? For me, I work when I want to work. I show apartments when it's convenient for me. I show I don't work weekends, very rarely. If I have a tour, it's 15 minutes and then I'm done. It allows me to have the, the kind of lifestyle that I want. So I generally, outside of COVID-19 situation, <laughs> I take my kids to school in the morning. I drive to the gym. I exercise with my trainer. I come home. I have breakfast. By 12 o'clock, I'm doled up and ready to go. So I go out into the world. I go to the office and I talk to clients. I meet new people. You know, I do a lot of consulting projects, advice. And then I come home at 5.30 and there I go. I'm back to being myself and being a mom and time with my two boys so I'm very involved in their life and they, I drive them to activities so it's really a business on my terms I work you know usually 20-30 hours a week and I've had really good steady six-figure income during the, the last few years so it's kind of like a snowball effect because if I look at my current listings and coming up listings nine out of ten are repeat business so there's only so much I need to do. I mean, you do it. You do it well once, and it just keeps coming back to me. Keeps coming back to you. That's great. Well, you know, for us, it's so amazing because we always talk a lot. I mean, so much of our work is based in how do we really nurture relationships, and because this is such a relationship business, and I think about that first story you told, and it just rung so true that it was like Ina is such a people person. You want to be helping people. You want to have that direct impact. And, and I think that's what also drives so many of us to residential real estate, whether it's on the sales side or on the leasing side. It's because you have that relationships and it's so based on relationships. So we love your brand, Ina. We love that you've built it to be incredibly elegant and bold. And it's also so you. It's so Ina. And so we wanted to ask you, where do you draw your inspiration from? I'm a huge fan of Masterclass. Oh, I watched yeah. um, I watched one of the Masterclasses by Silverstein and Goopy. They're a San Francisco-based mm. uh, marketing, uh, marketing agency. So all those commercials on uh, at Super Bowl, there was, those are their commercials. And one of the takeaway, biggest takeaway for me was that they said, don't borrow, steal. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so you know what I did? I stole got milk from them and I repurposed it to got tenants. Mm. So I did an entire marketing campaign around got tenants. Every time you see my posts, the last picture in the post is uh, got tenants and it's got my logo. It's built into my logo. 
So to a San Francisco-based landlord who's my client, leasing agent 415 exactly defines who I am and what it is that I do. So it's been, it's, my husband came up with this with the idea of leasing agent 415 a very long time ago. It sat dormant for a while. And about a couple of years ago, I sort of resurrected it and started creating kind of a brand. I mean, I watch a lot of, I'm Russian, so I watch a lot of bloggers in Russia who handle, who have various, not just real estate, but all kinds of bloggers. And I see what they do. So the idea of having basically three columns of information came from them, whereas one is a quote. If you look at my Instagram, one is always a quote, which is, uh, you know, relevant to me personally, what's going on in my life right now. I'm not trying to teach anybody anything or push any information, but this is a quote that's important to me at this very given moment. Then the second column is photos of me and information about who I am and what I'm all about. And the third column is real estate because my brand is about real estate, but it's about me as well. It's so clear that you love what you do and it shines through your brand and through your Instagram presence. I'm curious, do you engage with your clients and your audience in any other channels that our listeners should be aware of? Last year, I kind of had an aha moment where I thought I'm doing, I'm spending so much time doing all this Instagram stuff, but I'm not getting business from it. It's not like a steady business flow or, you know, eventually sometimes I get inquiring about something, but it's very rare. And then I realized that my clients are real estate agents. So for me to follow every single one of them and comment and engage with them is the most important thing that I can do for myself. That's a big part of my business. I mean, I sometimes say funny things. Sometimes I comment and I say, oh, you know, this property... Somebody was selling something at Arden, for example, and I said, oh, I rented such and such a unit at Arden for such and such amount. I said, well, this would be a great investment. So I try to stay engaged with people because that's how they know me. That's how they follow me back. That's how the business comes through. I love that because you just shared how you know exactly who your audience is so you can tailor your content towards them. And mm-hmm. by commenting and sharing kind of what you've rented in the past and for how much, it shows your value to agents. So it's you're like hitting so many of the target points, which is awesome. My relationship with clients are very short and brief and very purposeful, whereas I rent their property. And as soon as the lease, the tenant moves in, they're not my responsibility. They are the owner's responsibility. So if I'm hearing from the client within that those 12 months, there's a problem. And that's not a good thing. If I know I should be hearing from them in 11 months, that's when I like to hear from them because they're calling me to tell me that the tenant's moving out and they need a new one. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that generally... I don't engage with my clients. I don't stay in touch with them. They know I've done a great job. They left me a Google or Yelp review. They're very happy with me. They will think of me anytime rental comes along. I have a lot of referrals from my past clients. And uh, most of the time, clients come back to me. Some of them try to rent it on their own after I'm finished because I give away so much information. They know exactly what to do. And they try it, and a lot of times it doesn't work out as well. It's not as easy as they they thought they would be, so they come back to me as well. You get the job done, Ina, and you make it look so easy, which is why they probably think they could do it themselves, but then they realize they can't. I love this gem that you've stumbled upon, which is to say that the audience that you're speaking to on social and in your branding is oftentimes realtors. Even in just in San Francisco, there's so many different kinds of realtors. So I'm wondering how you think about 
as you're figuring out how to spend your energy, how do you actually think about niching down into that audience? I've learned a long time ago that a lot of people are faking it. And I can pretty much tell who is faking it and when. And we all sometimes have to mm-hmm. fake it until we make it. So that's okay. I work with a lot of the you know, top producers. I work with Nina Hatwani, for example. She sends clients to me. Uh, pretty much all her rental clients are my clients. Neil Ward calls me with questions and advice for his clients. Sherry Howe has been sending clients to me. As a matter of fact, I have killed so many of her investor deals that she would laugh and say, you know what, Here's I have an investor client. Why don't you educate them on how to be in a landlord in San Francisco? And then I will take them out shopping for, <laughs> for a property because usually she would spend all this time looking for a rental property and they narrow it down to two and they call me to see what my opinion is. And I kind of poo-poo over both of them. <laughs> scratch. I tell people how it is. I'm very straightforward. I'm not a sugar coder. I am an investor myself. I know what it means to be investing in real estate for whom clients are at the core of it. You know, they want to make sure the clients get the right property. They forward my thoughts as is, as they are, and let the client decide, do they want to buy something or do they want to start from scratch? I spoke with someone yesterday and they called me a very giving person. And I come from a place of abundance. I believe there is a, there's enough for everybody in the world and in San Francisco real estate, 5,000 agents, 10,000 agents, whatever we have. There's enough for everybody. So I give a lot of information out. I posted recently on compass.com and I said, look, I completely understand that a lot of you need to be doing leasing right now to support yourself and your families. And I'm happy to help you. Let me know what you need. Do you need paperwork? Do you need how to fill out a lease? Mm. Whatever kind of advice you need, how to process an application. I'm there for you. I am not going to hoard the information because the more I give, the more I get. That mentality of abundance is so huge. I think it's so refreshing to hear you say that. And I think a lot of listeners and realtors out there can really resonate and appreciate being reminded that there is plenty of business for everyone to be had. Absolutely. Ina, you have this confidence and aura about you that serves you so well, especially in a market where sometimes things can be unpredictable and yet expectations and stakes are so high. Was that always the case for you? And if not, what triggered that transformation? I've been pretty confident as a person and as a woman for most of my life. I was raised by two incredible individuals, my parents, who have instilled in me that they instilled the positivity in me. I don't even know how to think negatively. You know, when I go to a client, when somebody, I just spoke with a client before this call, they're looking to rent out, they're buying a house in the valley, they're looking to uh, rent a property, and they gave them so much information, far more than they expected. So if they do decide to rent the property, I know they're going to call me because I've already sort of gave them so much that they have to almost give back to me. So usually when I go to a meeting, by the time I get to an actual physical meeting with someone, I go there with 100% confidence that these are already these people are already my clients and I treat them I talk to them like they are my clients and they appreciate that and they like that they see the confidence and they see that I'm already taking care of them we haven't even signed anything and I've already given them away all these things also confidence it comes from experience right once you know what to do and how to do it you you are confident about it if this is your fourth time selling a property or renting a property, you're going to be a little bit shaky, but that's okay. We'll all go through that. It's fine. 
you just can't to kind of like imagine this big sort of like a dresser with lots of little drawers and you know what put your insecurity insecurity into one of these into what each drawer close it lock it throw away the key just do that mentally and that's it and just have one big drawer for all your confidence mm-hmm. and all your positivity that you pull out every morning and you take it out and there is it's replenishing it replenishes itself and you open it there's more <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's such an important mindset shift to turn that sort of insecurity because I think we all have insecurities and we all have confidences and it's how we shine the light in our everyday lives on each of those things that really kind of determines how we go about our days. And in the same token, we love talking about failures because we know that everyone fails and everyone has the capacity to be resilient and overcome those failures. And honestly, you know, failures, of course, humanize us. And because of, of that, they also show our, our strength when we do overcome those failures. So I'm curious if you could tell us about a time that you fumbled a little bit, that you failed, and how did you become stronger because of it? to me would be not being able to rent a property. For example, there was a property last year that I marketed and marketed, but the clients who bought the property, they went, they bought the property with the wrong rental estimate to begin with. They thought it'd be worth $10,000. And when I came in, I knew it wasn't. And we started at a lower number and we kept lowering, lowering. Um, it kept sitting on the market. The property had its pros and cons. It ended up not renting my, my it ended up being an expired for me, which kind of really stung for me because, and it ended up renting for significantly less by someone else. So I think a failure for me was probably not kind of trusting myself and my gotten my sixth sense in the sense that I should have been more proactive with the client and should have been, you know, asking them to, to trust me more and to lower the price more. My failure is sometimes not being strong enough in explaining to them why something wouldn't, wouldn't work. And sometimes there are other circumstances for example, I have this mega, mega property that we went to market with earlier this year, and then uh, the COVID-19 happened. So and in combination with the pandemic, we, we basically had to take them off, off the market for now. It's a failure for me, but is, was it all my fault? I don't think so. So I have to be very um, mindful as to what I should beat myself up for and what I shouldn't. Thanks for sharing that. That's such a huge distinction to make because I think a lot of times in this profession we can easily beat ourselves up but it's so important to realize where we were responsible or can take accountability for and then other parts where there's so many external factors especially in our line of work that are important to acknowledge as well. I get calls from property owners who were represented by some of the top producers in the city, and they tell me that they were very unhappy with the service and how the property didn't sell, and now they want to rent it, and they spent all this money on compass concierge that they owe this money back, and I feel really bad, but it's it's also a combination of different things. It's not just this agent's fault that this property didn't sell. Then I have to sort of massage and package it for them so they don't feel so angry because, again, working with somebody who's angry is also not a good thing. 
for me because usually if a property is hard to sell, it's mm. hard to rent as well. Mm. There is a mean loss. So you have to um, kind of understand. I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> and it's also really important to be tenacious, to keep going. I've had a property on the market that was on, uh, was on the market for sale for over six months. It didn't sell. Then it was referred to me for rental. It was on the, on the rental market for a couple of months and then the COVID-19 happened and the owners, you know, we decided to take it off the market. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep marketing it. So I did and it rented. It rented for a lot of money. It was a $10,000 a month rental and during this huge pandemic and we made it happen. So we just have to kind of keep pushing sometimes and just trust your sixth sense. What is it telling you? Should you... Keep going, or should you just let it let it go? I think it's so amazing that you also a part of one of your stories is that you weren't exerting your power enough, even though you knew instinctively that your gut was saying one thing. And I love that that is such an a uh, that's such an amazing realization. I think when it comes to failures, because I think so oftentimes our failures do relate to us not acknowledging how much power we do have or us not acknowledging that we can do it, that we do have the capacity, that we do have the ability and um, the knowledge or whatever the case may be to make something happen. But it's that sort of like, it is that a little bit of, sometimes it's self-doubt or sometimes it's just the circumstances when we don't exert that power, even though it's, it's right there with us. And I feel like I have that power, but for some reason... That particular situation, there was a referral from one of the top agents in the city, and I wanted to make sure that obviously not only the client is happy, but the agent is happy as well because you know obviously I needed to prove myself. So it, it was it was a lot of different things. So I felt a little bit more subdued than I normally would. But generally, I try when I meet people, I tell them this. I, I say this: May I be frank? And of course, everybody wants you to be honest and frank about the situation. And I just tell them how it is, because you know what? I learned the hard way that if I don't tell them about a flaw that the property has, then it's going to come back and bite me in the butt later on. For example, a property is on a busy street, right? Everything is perfect about it, but it's at the intersection of busy and very busy. And if I don't disclose that up front, I need to tell them because later on it will be like, well, you didn't tell us this will be an issue. This busy street will be an issue. Well, I thought it, <laughs> but I didn't voice it. And I, yep. <laughs> I, I have to be very honest, you know, for me, you know, in order to be like very successful in my business, I have to tell people like, look, we got to do amazing marketing on your property. We have one chance to make a first impression. We got to go hard. We got to go big. We got to take it. You have to spend a couple hundred dollars and get in professional photography. We are going to do a video. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, you know, if you listen to me, because I know at the end of the day, if I've done everything that I could and I still didn't get it, I shouldn't beat myself up over it. It's the key is to do absolutely everything and talk about it, explain to the client what it is you're doing. Because one thing I learned very early in my career that if your client is calling you, you're failing. So you have to be constantly in touch with the client and explaining to them what's happening with the property, what kind of inquiries you've had, what's going on, what's the feedback, what's the market like. You know, I hate these calls right now because all I call them to tell them that nothing's happening. But I tell them what I'm doing, and they appreciate that. 
It's that proactive communication, clear expectations, stellar marketing that you put out and nonstop persistence, especially in this market where there's a lot of stagnance. And also because you do a lot of luxury leasing, it sometimes takes time. How do you keep your energy and persistence going, Ina? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. I just, I just have it. It just always comes. I'm generally a very happy person. I don't remember last time I was down or disappointed or sad. I don't have any fears per se. A simple example is like I could be afraid of an earthquake, right? I could just sit in my home and shake every single and expect that massive earthquake and worry about it and just go nuts, right? Or I could prepare myself and get things ready and get these uh, backpacks ready, packed with things for myself and my family. So in case of an emergency, we can jump out of the window and we have our clothes and all that and ready. So I want to be prepared for that too. I want to manage that fear, any fear, whatever the fear is. Get ready for it, put some kind of uh, thoughts in place or some kind of parameters and around it, what you are going to do if that happens and let it go. That's what it's all about. It's fearlessly conquering your fears. That's how you basically do that. And it's always very exciting for me. There's always a new client, always something new to talk about. Like I just started a, a consulting project for a local real estate um, investment company where I'm basically building their leasing department. I'm just putting all the framework around it. I'm training the leasing agents and of, on how to do things and how to handle clients and literally everything about it. So it, that's very exciting to me. I love doing Instagram. I pretty much live on it, unfortunately, because there's always inspiration. There's always something someone's doing that is very cool and exciting. I always want something different, something a little bit more exciting. So I came across uh, Douglas Elliman. They have this show and tell videos where their agents are literally walking their own uh, listings and talking about themselves and the property at the same time. They're all over YouTube. I came across that and I thought, oh my God, this is a perfect way to talk about me and my work and my real estate. So we've done two, two videos like that. And do leasing agents do that? No, but I thought it would be a great investment in my brand so people can see, you know, that you know, one of the videos, I'm in my home and I'm walking around my home. You can, you can see my kids' beds and you can see my playroom and all these things. And at the same time, you can learn a lot about me. Those videos were so impressive and so smooth and so you. It's fun. It's always such creativity. And then like I'm looking at, I look at Instagram and what people do and I'm like, oh, I could do that for my business. That's not gonna, I'm not doing this alone. I have a big team. I have basically 10 guys who work for me. I have a guy who does my website. I have, that's my, that's my cousin. I have a guy who does my SEO. I have a guy who does my research and kind of ad hoc assignments. That's my nephew. I have a video guy. I have a photographer. That's five. So then I have my partner, Adam, who you guys know, who, who does a lot of leasing for me. My other nephew helps with leasing every once in a while if I'm out of town or something like that. He's, uh, he, he helps with that. Then I have my two sons who are my marketing props. <laughs> and then my husband who who will do whatever it takes if all the other nine fail who's going to be all better and those are the 10 men I'm, I'm disclosing to you because there's also a lot of other men out there 
who I've cultivated good relationships with who are available for advice and uh, introductions or literally pretty much anything I need. They are well-known people in San Francisco, real estate and not only real estate, but those are the people who can help me get to where I want to get. And so, yeah, we did. You know, it's not, nothing happens. I mean, on my own. Yes, I'm sort of like the driving force behind it, but there are a lot of people who definitely help me. And so much family too. And so much family. I have basically five men in my in my family, <laughs> five boys. So they're all, they're all here, and they're all very large. So <laughs> there's a lot of feeding going on. That brings us to one of our next questions. We were going to talk about how this can be a little bit of a lonely profession sometimes. And that we as a lot of times, as, especially as individual agents, have to create the kind of community to make it feel a little bit less lonely sometimes. It seems like you have already done that with your family. Are there other ways that you've also created a community in your professional life? Well, I am in touch with a lot of realtors all the time. I mean, my phone rings even these days. My phone rings, you know, I talk to two or three agents a day because people call me and they or email me and ask me about a certain property or will it rent for, will it make a good investment or will it not? Usually I go to sales meetings every Wednesday. I try to talk at the sales meetings, uh, whatever it is. If anything, I'm, I'm willing to say literally anything. So just to remind people that I am... I'm a resource. I'm there for them. And usually after that, you know, two or three people stop by and they, you know, they ask a question or they, they say, oh, you reminded me that I need to respond to such and such a client. They might be a good listing for you. So there's always that. So I don't feel like, I don't feel lonely at all. If anything, there's so much talking going on in my life that <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I feel is uh, is alone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's such an amazing reminder of how community can just be built simply by being there for people, showing up, providing value, always having something to say, always be willing to show up and always wanting to say something. That's what I do when I think about you. It's always having an amazing insight about not only the market, but about marketing. Something is always at the tip of your tongue. And I can see how that is such an amazing resource and why you've been able to drive so much business to yourself. Thank you. I always try to be helpful. I think giving is the biggest thing we can do is give information because a lot of people kind of hoard the information and hold it to themselves, not willing to share ideas. The thing is that ideas are worthless. It's just ideas, right? Because most people don't execute on them. You could give the, somebody your entire playbook, but they won't do anything with it. So that I'm not, I'm not worried about it at all. That's why I, you know, I broadcast things all the time. Like I was doing, sort of started doing kind of a, an Instagram masterclass on my Instagram, telling agents what is it they need to do. Because I look at some of the agents' Instagram accounts, I'm like, oh my god, it doesn't even say you're an agent in your Instagram. <laughs> Trying to get clients from this. I mean, it doesn't say where you are, who you are, what you do. You have pictures of your food and your dog. Where's your business in this Instagram? I mean, come on. But I do have private calls with a lot of agents who, who call me and they ask me my advice on how to, because I've spent a lot of countless hours. I'm all about self-educating constantly. And I'm always on YouTube watching videos about Instagram hacks, YouTube hacks, and I've launched a YouTube channel on how to do this, how to do this. So there's so many, how algorithm works. 
For example, most people don't know that when you post something, you have an hour. Instagram gives you an hour. If you don't get a certain amount of likes in that hour, your post kind of like Instagram will, will not continue basically showing your post, even to your followers. People don't know that. And that's kind of, they just, they just post random stuff. They don't understand that Instagram is kind of your, your private magazine. That's how you need to showcase things about yourself, about your real estate, about your, you know, it just has to be a really good blend, a good puzzle so that somebody can go in and kind of learn about you and feel connected with you. And also a lot of people don't tell me that, well, my clients are not on Instagram, but they're on Facebook and you can connect to Instagram to your Facebook and they will see what you're doing and your stories and how you are living your life and how you are creating business for yourself and how, you know, all these things. And that's kind of my take on that. <laughs> totally. You are so sharp and so professional and I think it resonates within your brand and that's why people think of you. For fun, can you share something that your colleagues that folks may not know about you? Um, you know, two years ago, I didn't, like three years ago, I didn't even have an Instagram account. I was terrified of anybody knowing anything about me. And I asked my friends not to tag me. <laughs> wow. Wow. How did the switch happen? A friend of mine told me, you know what? You have such a cool job and you have these kids and you, you're living your life. You need to document this. You need to document your journey. You need to show other people that it's possible to have a lot of things, you know, kind of manage everything in your life, kind of have this balance. It's not even balance so much, but as harmony. Gina Blancard just recently taught me that. It's about having the harmony in your life of how you can spend time on yourself and spend time with your family and on your business and help your clients at the same time. Because my, my position on my business is, so imagine you have a jar or you know, a bucket and you have rocks and you have sand, right? So if you put sand first, the rocks will not fit. But if you put rocks first, the sand will fit just fine because it will fall into all these little nooks and crannies, right? So that's how I feel about like myself, my self-care, my family. These are my rocks. So I put them in first and my work is the sand. It fills in. I close deals on, uh, you know, in the Trader Joe's frozen aisle all the time. I, tell, uh -huh. yep. I sign leases while stirring dinner and having my son all over me while we're beating eggs or something like this. It's, it happens all the time. So, so to me, it's kind of like such a good blend. So I can't really, there's no such thing that I cut off a certain, at a certain hour. I try to put my phone away around six o'clock and not look at it again until nine that almost never happens, but you just kind of have to have that harmony about your life. And it, that's what makes you happy, I think. And this is such a great segue. Our podcast is called The Thoughtful Realtor, of course. And we wanted to ask you, how do you define being a thoughtful realtor for yourself? I think it's somebody who makes themselves happy first. Because it is somebody who has thought about their own life, their own happiness, their own balance, their own harmony. And then when you are harmonious yourself and you are happy yourself, then you can help people. Because you can't help people from an, from an empty place, from an unhappy place. So you have to be thoughtful and mindful and fill yourself, kind of give you, find your soul food and feel your, uh, fill your soul first with what you can give to other people uh, and you need to learn how to replenish that because in our business you know we're taking care of people so it is very energy draining 
to be taking care of other people. So you need to find ways to replenish yourself, to find um, inspiration, whether it's books or movies or someone else's Instagram account, whatever it is, you know, exercising, swimming, whatever you want to do, you need to find that inspiration and that fulfillment for yourself. And kind of learn to savor moments, learn to be present, learn to enjoy yourself before you give to others. That's such a good reminder and so important to end on. And it's so clear that you come from such a genuine place of happiness and it just shines in your work. And it's clearly a huge motivating factor for you and allows you to be persistent, to hustle and to constantly give and add value and what we love about all of that is you still add humor throughout your the whole process. I try. I try. You got to be funny. You got to be humorous. You got to be, you got to be honest with people. You got to, but you have to also make them feel good. Thank you so, so, so much, Ina. We really appreciate your time and all of the amazing things you got to share with us and for all of the folks listening to. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today for another episode of The Thoughtful Realtor. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Have a friend or a colleague who might benefit from this episode, please share because we're all about spreading the love. And if you want more, go to our website, ConnieandKenny.com for resources and to sign up for our weekly email where you'll get our best, most personal stuff to inspire you. Follow us on Instagram at Connie and Kenny and let us know what you loved most about this episode. Until next time. Bye. bye.